Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead and show us what you would want us to see from all this. And we just thank you for your love, your care, your, your commitment to people to bring us to you and, we, and teach us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Job 28, um, this is one of the longest responses, this section that we're in right now of Job to, to the people. It goes like four chapters. Um, Bildad had said, man can't be pure enough to come before God. Job basically says, you're absolutely right, but God's the creator. He's the all-powerful one. You can't stand before him. He goes, God, but God will not. And then Job said, I will not admit my guilt because I don't have guilt to admit. I've offered my sacrifice. Uh, in the last chapter, he was talking about power of man for, for wealth. And in this one, he's going to continue in the idea of wealth. So Job chapter 28, starting at verse 1. Surely there is a vein for silver and a place for gold where they, where they find, find it. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He sets an end to darkness and searches out all per perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The flood breaks out in the, from the inhabitant, even the water is forgotten at the foot. They are dried up and they are gone away from men. As for the earth, out of it comes bread and under it under it is turned up as it were a fire. The stones are in it, in, of it are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. There is a path which no fowl knows, and which the vulture's eye has not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden it, nor the fierce lion passed it. He puts forth his hand upon the rock, and he overturns the mountains by the roots. He cuts out rivers um, among the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He brings floods from overflowing and things that are hidden brings he forth to light. But where is, shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man knows not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. We're gonna stop there. It's, I went a little too further than I probably needed to. So here, this is kind of an interesting chapter. When I was first reading it, I, I'm looking at him going, what does this mean, God? And asking them to show me. So I did something I never do. I went to the commentaries first, <laughs> trying to figure out what they said. And they all said, we don't, we're not really sure what this says. <laughs> and I'm going, well, that was a lot of help. <laughs> so I'm going, okay, God, what is this saying? And as I started reading it, it became pretty obvious to me that it says what it says. Which we're going to go through that. I mean, but it was very clear that it says what it says, and it's talking about mining. All right. Reason the commentators don't want to agree with it is because he's talking about some pretty advanced things about mining that they're going to say there's no way were developed back in his day. So we're going to look at some of this, and because I did some research and I did a little bit of research into mining, more than I wanted to know about mining, but less than any miners would know. But uh, First, he says, surely there is a vein for the silver and a place where gold, of gold where they refine it. Uh, fine is a short for refine. <laughs> and so he's saying there is wealth, all right? There is a source of money, the vein of money, the source of money. And so he's saying there is other monies. Now, when I started reading this, I started wondering, especially as I looked at how well he understood mining, was Job... Part of Job's wealth also in actual silver, gold, and stuff that was he part of mining. Because he started talking about things that the average person wouldn't know about mining. I had to dig a little deeper to find out that this is what he's talking about. He understood mining, which made me wonder, did Job, I've always been taught that Job lost everything when Satan attacked him. And it doesn't appear if this is true that he understands mining the way it is. He had some silver and gold as well as all the animals and property that he lost. So he may not have lost everything, just the bulk of what he, you know, because they did measure in his day and age wealth by how many animals you had and everything. But apparently silver and gold was still back then a lot easier to trade in than here, I'll give you five sheep and three donkeys. You know, I, okay, I'm gonna give you three ounces of gold. <laughs> it's still a whole lot easier than, than that process. But he goes, there is a play, there is a vein for silver and a place for gold where they refine it. 
Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. And if you know anything about metallurgy, brass is a mixture of, of ores. And this is another place that is so funny when we get into this because evolution is so ingrained in our archaeologists' minds that when they see something like this, they go, well, it can't be past, well, what was the brass age after the flood? You know, the, you know, they, they couldn't have known this uh, you know, earlier than whatever the brass age is. Uh, I can't remember what it is. I think it was like they, they calculated it as 12, 14, 15, 16 BC or something. And he's already talking about it. But even before that, we know before the flood, they were dealing with brass and everything. You know, within two or three generations of Adam and Eve, they were talking about brass, brass instruments and, and instrumentations being done. You know, and it's so interesting that when we read the Bible, we see that men are getting stupider overall <laughs> rather than smarter that evolution tells us. Uh, you know, men knew all this stuff, you know, and I think about this, even when I look at some of the things that we deal with. Is it true the Egyptians had electricity? Yes. Yeah, the Egyptians had electricity. Many of the civilizations knew how to use electricity. Minor, not, not anywhere near the way we use it right. in our day, but they ran electric-powered motors and, and pumps and stuff. But when Egypt was conquered, or virtually conquered, the barbarians <laughs> considered all that technology magic and destroyed it. And it really wasn't until the Library of Alexandria, where technology got stuffed in libraries, <laughs> and then the big one that... <laughs> that uh, managed to save technological advancements were actually the Islamic people built large libraries during their reign and they didn't destroy all the, the books that they conquered. <laughs> so they actually maintained a lot of the knowledge. So, but before that, the barbarians would come in and go, oh, this is, you know, they've got magic. They can lift things off the ground without anybody wheeling a, uh, wheeling a wrench and they go, nope. <laughs> Magic, get rid of it. And the same thing with mathematical sciences and everything else. It kept being, now records did exist, that's how we know that they had them. But we're finding these things and going, wow, this looks like a battery. This looks like a motor. They had, <laughs> they had advanced technology. So there, all of this has been secular. You know, it's, you know, what, Benjamin Franklin wasn't discovering electricity when he flew, flew his kite in, the, kite in the storm. He was trying to prove that he could control the electricity uh, that they already knew about. So it's kind of fun listening to those things and following through with them. You know, when you were reading, it, it just kind of struck me that, since I've missed so much, but there's so much text here that is so specific that um, it seems that if they were using oral language to transcribe it, it would have morphed or changed as the, the day, you know, as the, the retelling happened. That is because we don't understand the power of the oral historians. Mm -hmm. uh, very rarely did they lose the power of it because they would choose the four or five people and they would find the one who could tell the story exactly the way it was told mm -hmm. without embellishing it, without changing it. So those stories, you know, when we think of them, there's no way they could be pure, you know, they had to, and yes, they did change a little bit, but they, it was so extract, exacting, it was an honor to be the history, history keeper, and if you couldn't tell it back to the historian the way they told it to you, you were kicked out. Your training ended right there and then. Um, so, I mean, the only way you ever really had a problem is if the guy didn't finish training them before he passed away. And then who knows what would happen with the oral training. But they were very specifically picked. And you know, in our day and age, we're going, yeah, there's no way. We can't, we can't tell stories you know, the same way. And there was no way that they could do it. But it was a very big deal that these stories had to be told the way they were told to you. So it's not as big a deal that things got through correctly. <laughs> well, it was. It was a huge deal, but it was a great honor. It was a great honor to be selected, so you worked real hard to, you know, he told you Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, and you learned how to say Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. And if you said, well, you know, Peter Piper, you know, 
uh, pickled peppers. Nope, you're not. <laughs> you're not. You're not in it. So it was a huge deal. It really was a big deal for them. And it's not as an, when we study the history of how that worked, it's not quite as amazing that the stories did not get <laughs> shattered the way they would in our day and age. But I, I mean, I just want to help you correct that because I used to think that way. It's amazing, but. Then I started learning the, you know, what went behind this, you know, to be the oral history keeper. And usually there would be two or three of them that were trained, so there was always somebody there to be able to check you as well. You became the master, but it's like, hold it, that's not what the master said before, you know, uh, trying, to, trying to check them. <laughs> so, but a good point to make, because I mean, people don't fully understand the power of that oral history keeper. It was a honored position and you were and you're right when you get down far enough you know far enough generations out it probably got pretty hard to remember everything i can't imagine how these guys remembered everything they needed but it was just a memorization uh tool did they have it written down to remember all this is no it was all spoken if you if you had if you were able to write it down you wrote it oral tradition was before you had your had your uh your writing so, but it was, a, like I said, it was a huge honor, so you memorized it. And you practiced it and practiced it and practiced it and practiced it until you could get it down exactly the way it was supposed to be done. And, you know, this is also the fact that, you know, there used to, people used to be able to remember things. Back before television, uh, radios, I mean, I don't even remember half the stuff because I, and I told my mom, she goes, well, how can you do these things? Because I know where to find the information. I don't have to memorize it anymore. But there used to be a time when you didn't have every easy access to things. You memorized. You know, just think about us sitting in the room. All of us are old enough to remember that we used to know everybody's phone number, all of our friends' phone numbers and addresses. Now, I don't know anybody's phone number. I just put, grab my phone, say, call, call William, call Jonathan, call... You know, and it's just push that name on the button and it does all the work and I don't know anybody's names. The prisoners all, many of the prisoners have, have complained that when they got arrested and they were allowed to make one phone call <laughs> and they couldn't get their cell phone out of property to be able to find the number to call. So I recommend remember one person, one important person's phone number. So what about the book of Job then though? Do, we don't know who wrote this. We don't know who wrote it. Most people believe that Job wrote it after, after the fact. Uh, the majority used to think Job wrote it, but then other people... Have, you know, it became part of the Jewish Bible, even though he's not a Jew. Uh-oh, Job wasn't a Jew. No, he's a contemporary with Abraham, and Abraham was the family of Judaism comes from Abraham. And he's not one of Abraham's descendants, but he's a contemporary of it, Abraham, either slightly after. This is one of the oldest books in the in, in, in written. Because Genesis wasn't written until Moses wrote it, and Moses isn't until about 400, 500 years after Abraham. So this is one of the oldest books of the Bible uh, because it wasn't written by Moses. It was written before. And the critics don't like to admit that it's that old because of how detailed things are. They're going, there's no way back then that all these things were going on. Yeah, yeah. So, so then, so Moses wrote Genesis. Yes. And then that would have come directly from God to Moses, right? Pretty much. Or... God through Moses, or through oral history. And finally, was written down by Moses. Oh, okay. okay. Which God, of course, made yeah, sure yeah. nothing was wrong right. with it. But you know, God could have verbally given it to Moses, or it came from oral history, and Moses wrote it, wrote it out. Because Moses wrote all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, so that's where I got confused. It was like, did he only write Genesis? Or no, okay. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The five, first okay. five books of the Bible, Moses wrote. That's what I thought. Okay. Or yes. technically penned. Well. So he's talking about silver, gold, iron, brass. And then he says he, in verse 3, he sets an end to darkness and searches out all the perfection in stones and darkness and the shadow of dread, death. Now the thing about this, one of the things you've got to figure out when you're reading this section is, who is this he? Alright? 
if you believe that this is God speaking, then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense throughout the whole thing. Because when I first read it, I'm thinking God, and you know, yes, there's a lot of things in it, but there's some issues of, with that. I do believe he's talking about man, because he starts out about the wealth, iron, silver, gold, brass. And if it's man, it says, he sets an end to darkness and searches out the perfection and the stones of darkness and the shadows of death. I believe he's talking about mining. They go underground with their torches and find things underground that people don't see. And that also fits when we get to the birds of the air and the, and the lions. I had to take this in a huge, this whole section without trying to tear it apart. And I do believe there was one person who talked about mining. And then the more I looked at it, the more mining felt, fell into the place on this, on this section. Now, I could be wrong, and that's fine. I'm, but when I, uh, when I'll make my points on it, and then you can make whatever you want with it. <laughs> All right, but he is talking about wealth, so in context, mining makes sense. All right, he makes an end of the darkness, and this is miners bring in their torches and, and set up their lighting systems on it. He searches out for all the perfection, the completeness of the mine. The miners will keep in their mine until they, you know, go far enough that they don't find anything anymore. And he's, and the shadow of death, and, they, and mining is dangerous. It's always been dangerous. So he's saying this is a dangerous profession that he's doing. It says the floods break out from the inhabitant and even the waters are forgotten in the foot and they dried up and they have gone away from men. Now this one is one that was a little more difficult to understand but I did do some looking up and found out that there are two major problems in the mining area outside of the collapse of your mines. Number one is that the water tends to settle at the lowest parts of the mine that seeps in through the walls, that there's plenty of seepage, and your bottom of your mines always get wet. The bigger problem, and the reason I thought about this one is, living in Kingman, there are three underground rivers that, wa that give Kingman its water. And I think we have one that comes this way. One of the big dangers I read is that when mining is done, nowadays it's not as big a deal because we have sonars and everything, that they would accidentally mine into a river or a underground lake and end up drowning, which is not what you normally think a miner is going to do, drowning under, underground in dry rock. But he's talking about these problems with water. And we're at the early age of the, of the earth, earlier age of the earth, so there's more water laying there, so he's going, their flood breaks out from the inhabitant or you know, into the inhabitant area. So he says it floods into it. We're, we're breaking in. And he says even the waters are forgotten of the foot. So he goes, he's talking about the water. I think he's talking about the water that gathers at the bottom of the mine. It's an interesting thing because in the Hebrew, the words are there. And the words are, as all technical words are in the Hebrew, the definitions will tell you we're not quite sure what these words mean. And it's kind of funny because it is true. I was listening to a, a radio station one time and they were doing advertisements for curtains. All right? And they were talking about ballasts and all the different pieces of a curtain. And the Australian intern goes, well, in Australia, we don't even have words for these things. And I'm thinking, yes, you do. You just don't know them because they are technical words that you don't know. And very often in the scriptures, the more technical the word is, the less we're absolutely sure about what it is. Half the animals we don't know what they're describing in because we don't know exactly what, we know it's an animal by context but we don't know exactly what animal because it's not used in other places for us to be able to track down a definition. And it's true, you know, if you are into ore and, and, and rocks and stuff and you start naming all the different rocks, you could lose me in a heartbeat oh, yeah. on all the rocks. Mm -hmm. To me, they're all rocks. And, you know, I can tell that some of them are Ignatius rocks or, you know, or flood, you know, uh, sedimentary rock to a degree. But other people know, well, this is this kind of rock and this kind of rock and this kind of rock and have names for it. And it's like, if you put those in a sentence in a book, I'm going, okay, they're talking about rocks. I, I, I know they're talking about rocks. <laughs> but if you were to ask me what rock they're talking about, 
Not a clue. And that's, just so you know, in the scriptures, a lot of times, the more technical the word is, when they start talking about the types of wood, the type of animal, the type of gems, a lot of times they're going, we're not quite sure what this one is, unless it's a very common one. Uh, and so this is where we're at in these verses. It's hard. But I do believe he's talking about mining, and so do some of these other versions, because they talk about shafts and, oh, yeah. and that type of stuff. So... Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. The very beginning of this tells me we're talking about something to do with mining and, and, and wealth. All right. And it says, As for the earth, out of it comes bread, and under it is turned up as it were a fire. So he goes, on top of the earth we get crops. Under it, you know, and here we have a lot of going on. He goes, the stones are set in place as sapphires, and it has dust of gold. He says they find all these wonderful things. Sapphires, you know, and I guess where he was at, sapphires would have been the big one. Now, here we find, what is it, emerald? Uh, what else do we find around here? Uh, fire agate. Huh? Fire agate. Fire agate. We find all kinds of the earth. Find all, all kinds of gems in our area. So he's saying they find the gems. Let's make sapphires more general. They find the gems. They find things that are valuable. And, by the way, they find gold, <laughs> which is probably what they were looking for in the first place. All right, so he's saying there is these mines, these are the things going on, and this is where the wealth is coming. He says, there, there is a path which no fowl knows, which the vulture's eye has not seen, the lion's whelps have not trodden on it, nor the fierce lion passed by. And that would make sense. When you're underground making mines, mm -hmm. nature hasn't been there, especially if you're in the hard rock, not even the rabbits and the gophers and all of those and the badgers have gotten you know as deep as you're going for gold and silver so he's talking about there's things there this is something that he's saying that man can do man can go places where the animals roughly don't go and i don't think there's any animal that truly buries and digs through the hard hard rock you know up in the top they can get into the into the cracks and stuff and to a degree can enlarge them and you know to to a small degree but none of them dig through and mine, <laughs> all right, other than man. Man does wonderful things because of the knowledge God gave us. And this is what he's building up to, the knowledge of man to do things. He bring, brings light into the darkness. We're the only one that actually will bring a torch to be able to see. Most of the animals can see in the dark. <laughs> uh, you know, we do all these things that are different from the animals he puts his hand upon the rock and he overturns the mountains by the rock. Now, this is the one that kind of draws people's attention. But mining literally is turning the mountain upside down. All right? I don't literally turn it upside down necessarily, but I go in and I find out what is underneath these rocks. So I'm theoretically turning... Well, in today's world, we turn, we, we turn them upside down and get, just dig them out. They're no longer... I don't think they were that far advanced in Job's day. But he was mining underneath it, finding out what was under it, you know, doing the stuff that would have been turning it upside down uh, in a more poetic, <laughs> poetic uh, manner. You know, maybe they had enough skill to blow up the whole mountain. <laughs> I don't know. But That's where it rolled the um, breaks open a shaft away from people. Huh? Breaks. In four where it says breaks open a shaft away from people, that makes me think of a blast. Mm, could be. I don't know. I don't... I know China had gunpowder a lot, and it could have been, I mean, like I said, nothing new under the sun. They could have had gunpowder and then lost it or something to blast with. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there necessarily. I can tell you, though, but, but if I'm mining underneath the mountains and I'm basically turning it upside down where I could, you know, finding out what's underneath this mountain. So whether they literally could turn it upside down with power, I don't know. They moved a lot of big stones back in those days. <laughs> Egypt, Egypt put rocks in, in, in those uh, pyramids that we don't know how we could barely move them with all the power equipment that we have. And they moved them without the power equipment. Because you know, we know they didn't have big trucks and cranes like we do. They, they had some power and they had some motors and stuff, but I don't know how they moved what they moved. Because even in our day, we look at those several ton bricks and we're going, we could barely move some of these things. And some of them found that they go, we can't move those. We couldn't have moved those things. And they moved them all over the place over a desert. 
And so who knows what they had. Maybe there was some kind of explosive. Maybe they learned how to make nitroglycerin or something. I don't know what they did, but you know, maybe literally they're saying they turned the mountain upside down. I think it, I would just say they dug tunnels underneath it and saw what was underneath it, but either way it works. Uh, and he says all of this stuff, he puts his hand on the uh, verse, he cuts out rivers among the rocks and his eyes see every precious things, and these are mines. You know, not literal rivers, but places where men could travel through the ground and see things and try to find everything that's under there. Now, I've always been amazed that people dig through the rocks and find anything. And how do they know even where to begin? And that's a whole other story of, you know, geologies and everything. And these guys seem to know pretty much where the evidence is that there should be something out. Because very rarely do they dig up dead, dead mines, you know. It's, There's certain things that only are around certain things. And that's what I'm saying. Geologists know where to look. And they know the signs that, they, that they're looking for. And this is what I'm saying. Job seems to know a lot about geology and mining at this point, because he's going, his detail on all of this is that they're making these mines. He was either very much aware of what was going on, or he did some mining himself, or maybe he owned mines and, and kept good, you know, was one of those good managers that learned what needed to be done. But he seems to know more about mining than the average person <laughs> would know. He binds the floods from overflowing, and the thing that is, is hid brings he forth to light. So I think here he's, he says we, he's learned a little bit about how to keep the waters out of his mine shafts and how to control it when it does get down there. And again, that would be a really hard thing to be able to do because uh, I looked up and I'm going, how big a deal is water to mining? And it turned out to be a pretty big deal. You know, and I understand a lot of our abandoned mines up here have nothing but water down in the bottom of them. So that if you did get into them, you'd probably drown because, you know, because of the water that's gathered in the bottom. Is the water that they broke through some, some aquifer? That would be a big problem, especially back then. Now it wouldn't be as big a deal because we would sonar it and say, no, we're not going, <laughs> there's water over there, we're not going there. But in their day, I don't, they would not have had the sonar and everything. Well, we have sounding tools and everything because there's certain things that happen, maybe not sonar, but gotcha. you listen to the echoes and you know what's down there. This is what he's saying here is the water, yeah. they've learned to control the water. Now, whether he had electric pumps or hand pumps or whatever, they've learned to control, he's learned to direct, uh, learned to, if we did hit the water, they learned to, how to direct it so it didn't flood the rest of the, the mine. <laughs> And you know it's a pretty amazing thing because our miners even to this day learn how to do all this stuff if they actually hit something they didn't expect to hit, uh, either that or they abandon it. But you know what do we always think of for miners? The problem is is uh, collapsing of the mine. That's always been a more minor. Yes, it does happen, but it's one of the more minor issues because they usually supported it if they had any intelligence in mining. It's been in, supported for millennia but you know the more i the more i read last you know the last night and the night before what when i was doing the more i found out that water was their big big issue in the mines and here joe is saying the same thing and it's like job you wrote this book 3500 years ago <laughs> you knew about all the problems of what was going on it's, and it's just an amazing thing and this is one of the problems that people have with job is the accuracy of his writing for technologies that they don't think he should have known anything about. And when we get further in, we're going to find all the study, you know, so many of the sciences that were brought up in Job that we only rediscovered, you know, less than two, three hundred years ago. And they're all in the scriptures of Job. You know, if people had just known how to interpret what they were seeing, they would have gone, oh, You've described the wind cycle, you've hydrology cycle, the nitrogen cycle, you know, all these different cycles that we just rediscovered, you know, three, four hundred years ago at max, all were in all were in Job. And Job was written, like I say, thirty five hundred, four thousand years ago, you know, long before all this stuff should have been known. And he wrote it all down to 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 tell us about this, which means it is common knowledge amongst the educated of their day.
And it's so funny because when we look at this, you know, people go, well, Columbus sailed around the world to prove that the world was round. No, he, went, he sold, sailed around the world not to prove that it was round, but to find a new trade route. He was a navigator. He was an educated person. He knew the world was round. He knew the size of the earth. The only thing he didn't expect was to find a continent between here and, and Asia. That was probably the surprise he had. The Greeks knew the size of the earth because they knew mathematics. Everybody who's known mathematics on their education side, the educated people knew the world was round. And those who read their Bible correctly knew the world was round. And it's a sphere that hangs in noth on nothing, told to us in Job. So that means 3,500 years ago, they knew the world was round and hung on nothing. How did they know it? I don't know if they knew it because of the math they knew or God just told them. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. They knew that it was round. And I think, I personally think it was because of the mathematics that they knew that God helped them learn. Because mathematics is pure and easy and once you learn mathematics, you can learn all the other things. You're saying that I'm like, okay, so you know mathematics, how does that make it know that Earth is round? A trigonometry. What? Trigonometry. Navigation is trigonometry, and once you learn to do trigonometry and navigation, you could do, you knew the world that was round. All right, verse 12. But, now this is, he's been talking about wealth and mining, and this is the, now he gets into the reason why have I been talking about all of this. And he goes, here's the opposite side of what I'm talking about. He goes, but where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Man knows not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It, is, it cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued for the price of gold, or the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx, or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral and of pearls and of the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. So here he's going, I've been telling you all about this wealth that we can create, that we can discover. He goes, but wisdom, but wisdom. And he's talking to guys that are being very foolish in their talk to him. So he's actually going against what they've been saying. But wisdom, where shall wisdom be found? And even in our day, we could say the same thing to, for most people. Where can wisdom be found? How many times have we met or even know somebody who is very smart, very knowledgeable, <laughs> You know, knows everything there is to know about every, every topic, but has no wisdom or common sense at all. That's basically what he's saying. Where is wisdom? Where is the place of understanding? He goes, where are you going to find it? We can dig out the silver, the gold, the gems. We can, we can mine the grounds. We can go underground where nobody else goes. We can get all of this wealth. He goes, but where is wisdom? Man knows not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. All right, so people do not understand the value of wisdom until they have wisdom. When you get wisdom, you start understanding the value of wisdom. But he says it can't even be found in the land of the living. What, he's getting to the point where this comes, wisdom comes from God. All right, without God, there is no wisdom. And... This is the absolute truth. God is wisdom, and it comes from him. Knowledge is not wisdom. And we've all, we really come to that conclusion that people can be very smart, very knowledgeable, but not have any wisdom. And some people that don't know a whole lot of things of the physical world or anything can be very wise. They can say very profound things because it's based, wisdom is based in God and his attributes. And this is where Job is going with this. You, you, you got all of this. And he says, can't be found. The, the deep shall say it is not in me. The sea shall say it is not with me. He goes, you've been deep, digging deep in those mines and you're not finding wisdom. 
You go out to the sea and, the di- and into the middle of the ocean and you would not find wisdom. You will not, you know, for us, we would say, you go out to the next galaxy and you won't find wisdom. This is basically what he's saying. You can go anywhere, any place. You know, we can go to the other planets in our solar system and we're not going to find wisdom. We can go to Alpha Centauri and not find wisdom. All right. Um, it cannot be gotten with gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price. He says you can't buy wisdom. And this is so important. And it cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir. Now, we've talked about the gold of Ophir in the past. Ophir was a mine that was supposed to have the most pure gold in the world. And we don't know exactly where it is, but most people believe that it is where we're, we're in the mines of India that had the, has very pure gold even to this day. And people go, well, no, they didn't go that far. Well, they went that far. Was, we've had caravans for many, 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 many millennia. Um, and Solomon got a lot of gold from, the, from Ophir, but he had ships and stuff, so he could really mine it in the caravans that he had. So this is what they're talking. We don't know exactly where Ophir is, but it was the purest gold. So he says, even the purest gold cannot buy it. Precious onyx and sapphires, you know, getting gems isn't going to buy it. Gold and crystal cannot equal it. Now, this is kind of interesting, crystal. Because we look at it in our day and age, crystal is only now starting to be reformed. So is this a different form of crystal? Was it better crystal? Was it one of those many arts that is lost (laughs) and found again? And this is something that is so amazing. The, The amount of lost technology and rediscovered technology over the over the millennia, so interesting. Because the more we're digging up these ancient areas, the more we're finding out that they had a lot better things than we thought they did. You know, and we're going, okay, where did all this stuff come from? How did they get this? How did they get that? That wasn't discovered until for us, you know, in the 1800s or the 1600s, and they're going, they couldn't have this stuff. It didn't exist back then. Well, it just goes that they were smarter than we give them credit for. And that really does come from the idea of evolution. Evolution says that they were stupid and had to learn. And you know, I think about, you know, starting on this term a while back ago, I think about that a lot of times when I look at various pieces of technology and try to figure out how did people ever figure this stuff out in the first place? How did they ever figure some of the stuff that they figured out? You know, just think about a wheel. We take it for granted, but who was the first person to make something round to to move things with. Now, how did they discover that? How did they discover what metals could be mixed together? How did they even come up with the idea that metals could be mixed together and come out with a different metal? I think it's gotta be God's inspiration. I personally think God taught man a lot more than we give credit for. I think Adam and Eve knew just about everything there was to know and it was lost at the flood and then had to be relearned. And how fast did they relearn some of that? Because they, you know, some of it was because that great, that great nut, you know, Noah, who built that big boat over there, you know, he's telling these stories about things that were done and that probably inspired people to rediscover some of what was out there, but it came from him for, you know, the second time around and inspired. But, you know, there's so many things, you know, that you look at and go, how could anybody have been able to think this up? Yeah. I love science, and some of the things I look at science, you know, and I'm going, how could they have ever begun to understand or, or think these things? Verse 17, and the gold and the crystal cannot equal it. The exchange of it shall not be for jewels or of fine gold. Jewels, boxes. When you read the jewel, word jewel in there in, in, the, in the Elizabethan English, it talks about boxes, treasure boxes. So big boxes of silver, of gold. No, not to mention coral, pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. So he says, no matter how you want to measure this, coral probably in the middle of the desert, <laughs> long ways away from where coral grows. And why they even knew that there was coral in the first place is another question. Because I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any coral in the Red Sea that, that I'm aware of. Uh, so it would be very valuable to them. And pearls, I believe it had to be coral and pearls because both of them are ocean, ocean yeah, items. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be the value of gold. This is how great he's saying wisdom is. And this is the theme all through the scriptures that wisdom 
is of greater value than anything else. And yet, men tend to chase after anything but wisdom. They'll chase wealth. They'll even chase knowledge. But knowledge, again, is not wisdom. They'll chase things that are tangible, easily met. And Job is saying, all this wealth, all this wealth I was talking about is nothing compared to wisdom. And his whole point that he's making to his friends are, you are saying that you are wise. You are thinking that you are wise. You are thinking that I am unwise because I lost all my properties, all my stuff. He goes, you don't understand wisdom. None of you have, and he said this on more than one, you're, you're awful, you're terrible counselors, you're, you, you're you know, um, I, even if I thought somebody was wrong, I would at least be kind to them and help them. You have not done any of that. And he's telling them, basically, you are not wise. <laughs> All right, verse 20. Whence, it com- whence comes, then comes wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say we have the fame thereof with our ears. God understands the way thereof and he knows the place thereof. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds and he weighs the waters by measure. Then he... When he made a decree for the rain, the way for the lightning and the thunder, then did he see it and declare it? He prepared it, yea, he searched it out. And unto men he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So Job is coming through full circle on this. He's going, where does wisdom come from? We can't buy it. We can't see it. We can't find it. It goes, where does it come from? And where is that place of understanding? Where do we finally begin to understand, truly understand things? He goes, it's hid from the eyes of the living. Without surrender to God, we do not ever understand wisdom because of what wisdom is as he ends it. And it goes, it is kept close from the fowls of the air. Uh, the animal, basically, he's saying animals don't understand it either. This is quite a statement that he makes. Animals seem to do everything by instinct. All right. Now, we are anthroponizing the animals now and giving them human emotions and all this stuff that we're doing in today's world. And I know they make animal lovers upset when I go, their dog, your, your dog is just loves you because that's what the instinct for them is to care for people yeah, and be part of their pack. And they still do, and they're still nice to them. Uh, it's just part of their instinct. They're not, they're not being, and I do understand, they give us comfort, don't get me wrong. My stepfather is really sick right now and my daughter's dog was visiting and he sat on his lap and stayed right next to him the whole time because he somehow instinctively knew he needed some comfort. Now, how that works, I have no idea. But it's not because, oh, yeah, he, he, he really needs help. I'm going to go jump in a fitness lap, and I'm going to love on him because that's what I want to do. I want to love on him. It's just part of the instinct of the dog to do. And, you know, and this is what he's saying. It's hidden from the animals. Wisdom is hidden from animals. He goes, destruction and death say, we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. He goes, at the end, you know, even at the end, wisdom is not necessarily there. He's going, death and everything will say, we've heard of wisdom. We've heard of wisdom. And then he starts in, God understands the way thereof, and he knows the place uh, thereof. He knows where wisdom's at. Of course, he is wisdom, so he definitely knows where it's at. And that's where he's going to end up here. He goes, God is the one that knows where wisdom's at. So if you want wisdom, ask God. Go to God for wisdom. And then he goes, he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole of heaven. So now he's raised his heights even higher. God sees all of the earth and he knows everything that goes on under the whole of heaven. He's talking about the omniscience of God. God knows everything. All right. And and he goes, to make the weight for the wind, he and he weighs the waters by measure. He knows the winds. He knows the water. You know, 
Jesus said he knows every hair on our head. Uh, you know, when we think about the all-knowingness of God, God understands the winds. We are only beginning by science to think we understand wind. And even then, we can't fully predict it. God knows all of it. God knows exactly how much water there is in this world. We think we know, and every time we think we know, we find underground oceans and stuff and lakes and stuff that we didn't know anything about. Oh, there's more water than we thought there was. I love it when people have asked, well, well, if the whole world was flooded over, where's all that water? Well, it's right here on the earth. Number one, the mountains weren't as high as they were, and the, and the deep parts of the ocean weren't as deep as they were. All you have to do is push up the Marianas Trench, and you'd flood most of the, most of the world just by pushing up the Marianas Trench, because it's over a mile deep. And all the way across the entire Pacific, all you do is push that up, and you'd have water enough to cover all the lowland, all, all the lowlands, and you drop those mountains down, you'd be covering the world. And you do the same thing with the Atlantic. I can't remember what the Atlantic Trench is called, but it's not near as deep as the, as the Pacific one. But you push both of those up, drop a couple mountains down, you flooded the whole world with no problem. And people go, well, OK, I guess the water's there. Yeah. And then he goes, and when he made, when he made a decree for rain and a way for the lightnings of, and lightning of thunder, he says, God is in control of weather. I love this. He made a decree for rain. He goes, God spoke. And when God starts speaking to Job, he asks, you know, where were you when I, when I did this? Where were you, when, the, you know, when I commanded the waters? Where were you when I fed the animals? Where were you? you know, are you the one that knows how to do all of these things? Job understands this. He says, God's in control of the weather. He commands for rain, and there's rain. He made a way for lightning. He goes, he's the one that is in control of the weather. And again, our meteorologists are beginning to understand. They're, they're getting better with the computer programs of figuring out rain. I'm amazed every once in a while when, I, when they get it right and they say, it's going to start raining at 1 o'clock. And at 1 o'clock, it starts raining. Yeah, there's a lot of these, you know, the computers have gotten fairly accurate because they're starting to understand the logic and science behind it that we never really understood. And then, and they're not 100% right, as we all know. They'll rain on rain on the day where it's supposed to be a nice, beautiful day. Because uh, I was looking, and it wasn't supposed to be rain until next Wednesday, and it was sprinkling, rain. sprinkling, and raining today. <laughs> At least everywhere I drove, it was. So we have all of this going on. He goes, but God is the one who's in control. And God knows how to make the weather. I mean, people go. Well, well, these storms happen because of this, that, and the other thing. Oh, yeah, but God said when that was going to happen, and it happened exactly when he said it was, it was going to happen. So I think he knew and did whatever it took to make sure that rain happened. And people can try to explain away all these different miracles. And, you know, for God, none of it is a miracle because he knows every bit of how to make something work. So to him, it's not a miraculous thing. He says, well, I'll know, all i got to do is tweak this and this and this, and, and this happens. So if there's logical reasons for it, it doesn't bother me because God still did it when it needed to be done. And it happened when nobody knew the logical reasons behind it. So God knows everything about it, and we still don't know everything about any, anything. And it's very amazing to me that we don't know. All the things we think we know, there's always exceptions to everything we know. Oh, well, this happened, and we're not quite sure why it happened because it didn't fit our predicting model. Didn't, didn't, you know, it wasn't what we were expecting. It, didn't, it shouldn't happen by what we think we know. And God says, yeah, I know. I know exactly why it happened, too, and I'm not telling you. And he goes, verse 27, Then did he see it and declare it and prepare it, Yea, and searched it out. He says, God made a way, he decreed, and when he decreed, he sees it. He also declares what's going on, and he prepared it. I love that statement, he prepared it. Yea, and he searched it out. I almost think those set, that set should be backwards <laughs> from the way that Job presented it. Uh, 
He searched it out, he prepared it, he declared it, and then he saw it, but that's okay. I'll leave it the way it is. Uh, but to me, logically, it should have been the other way around. But it does show the power of God. And it could be true. God saw it because he's outside of time and knew, knew what was going to happen because he declared and published it to begin with. Now, God actually sees things long before they happen. He already, and I've said this so many times, he already knows what we are going to do and what's going to happen in the future because he already knows it. He has already seen it even though we don't know it. It hasn't happened yet. And God says, well, yeah, but I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, but it's not even deja vu because he already knows. Yeah, how, that could be confusing to me. To already know what's happening to be, did this already happen or did this not happen? Uh, I'm listening to a set of audio drama and because I know how things end, it's very funny to be at the beginning of it again. And going, okay, did the, does this person know this person? No, they don't even, that person's not even been introduced yet. Because it was a long, long series and I know where it's going and where it ends. And sometimes it gets very funny because you hear things that, and actions and things and you're going, hold it. You know, and, you know, and I can almost picture, the, well, God's perfect, so he's not going to get confused, but you know, it, where are we at in this story? <laughs> Uh, and he says, he sees it. He sees it because he declares it. So God does see it, and he can declare it even before it happens. And that's what prophecy is in the Bible. And I mean, very interesting for us. We look at his prophecy as his best guess of what's going on, and God's just telling, I told you what I saw. You haven't seen it yet, but I've already seen it, so I'm just telling you what, what will be because I've already seen it and I've been there. And so prophecy in the scriptures is so much different than what we think of prophecy. You know, we get these you know, quote-unquote prophets, <laughs> prophecies, that have no clue what they're doing and they're just trying to predict the future. You know, uh, and they don't really understand, but God is, our, God is not predicting the future. He's declaring the future in advance because he's already seen the future, which matches what, what Job said. So Job was very advanced and in what he was saying. God saw it. He declared it. Even though we haven't gotten there yet, God saw and declared. And then he says in the very end, and unto man he says, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart from evil is understanding. He is basically telling his friends, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. I have the fear of the Lord. I am wise you guys don't seem to have the fear of the Lord. You are not speaking the way God says to speak. Because they were critical. They showed no love. They showed no mercy. And their attitude was, Job, you have done wrong. You had to have done wrong. Otherwise, all this bad stuff wouldn't have happened to you. Just admit what you have done and get it over with. And you know, then you can confess and God can, can bless you again. And we've talked about this several times. The biggest thing that they had, and even Job had this problem because many times he said, I know what you're saying is true. I know that, that, that only the wicked suffer, but I have not been wicked. They were very much on the prosperity gospel. Do good and you will be blessed. Do bad and you will get, get bad in return. And there is no, in the prosperity gospel, there is no in between. The prosperity gospel really struggles with bad people that get blessed and good people that don't have blessings hit them. They struggle with that because it's not an accurate doctrine. And if your doctrine does not fit the evidence, and you have to look at your, your doctrine and say, is my doctrine correct? And very important for us, it must fit. It's the same thing with science. If the evidence doesn't fit what you think if your, your theory is, then you have to change your theory to match, to find to what the evidence is saying. And this is over and over again the issue that people have. And Job is saying, I know, I know what I believe. I believe that when you do good, you're going to be blessed. When you do bad, you're not. But he's even many times, he's been, he, it's obvious he struggled with this. Because he's pointed out to them, you know, look, there are bad people out there that get blessed. <laughs> seem, seem to get blessed. I don't know why. I can't understand it. 
And I have seen people that, like myself, who have not done evil, that are being cursed. He goes, I don't understand it. It doesn't fit what I, what I understand. And his friends are all, Job, we know, we know that what, we, what we're saying is true. And Job is saying, you need to get the fear of God so you can have some, some wisdom. And then all through the Psalms, we hear about wisdom. And, and Proverbs is all about wisdom. And the, the seeking God is where wisdom comes from. And so Job is way ahead of the game on this wisdom, <laughs> wisdom idea. That the knowledge, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. That is the beginning. If you want to get wisdom, you start with the fear of the Lord and seeking after him and saying, God, I need wisdom. And it's really good when you fear God and he's on your side because now you have the omnipotent God who knows everything giving you your knowledge and your understanding. And that knowledge and understanding then comes with love and mercy and grace so that you can build people up and edify and help them out. And otherwise, knowledge alone just puffs people up. I am right, you are wrong, just listen to me and, uh, and follow me instead of follow God. And this is where Job is coming to. And Job's going to talk for another two chapters after this. He's already talked for two chapters, which is how long he usually talked. And he's going to talk for another two chapters, three chapters, excuse me, four cha uh, three chapters before we get anybody else talking to, to him. This is the longest dialogue from one person in the, in the book, of, book of Job. And it's Job defending his position, saying, you guys keep saying I'm, I'm guilty. You say you know, I'm deserving what I did. I've offered sacrifices. I've done all these things. I don't know why it's happening, but I am going to trust God. And overall, all of them. And Job is teachable. And this is the most important thing for all of us. Are we teachable? And this is very important you know, that, that we don't think, well, I know everything, so I'm not going to be teachable. I tell everybody you know, that we all need to be able to be taught. Even if we're on a topic that is something we know real well and somebody else is not, not as knowledgeable, they may say something that we could learn if we'll just pay attention. I have learned much you know, from new Christians oftentimes that just say something and go, you know, I never thought about it that way. And, that it just rings true and now it puts me on a whole other direction to start thinking because they said something that was basically so simple that I started overlooking it. And that's easy to do when you have a lot of knowledge. You overlook the simple. And you need somebody to come along and just remind you of the simple. And then all of a sudden that simple might trigger some things, some deep thoughts as well. That little simple thing ties into two or three other things and now gives you the, the linchpin to say, wow, now I've got all this stuff added together. And they don't know at all what they did or said. <laughs> you know, all they said was something you know, that God had taught them. And it's like, that is you know, impressive and wonderful. So we need to be teachable. And Job is basically criticizing his friend, saying, you guys aren't teachable. You're not listening to wisdom. You think you know all the answers, but I'm struggling. And Job, we see Job struggle all through this. It, what he's going through does not match what he believes. What his friends are telling him is what he believes, because you'll see, we've shown you oftentimes times where he said, I know what you're saying is true, but... You know, and this is really true for all of us. Do we struggle? It is very important for us to struggle with the Word of God and what it says. You know, and there's many areas I still struggle to this day. The whole idea of our free will against God's sovereignty. How can both be true? I have no idea. I know the Bible teaches both. I get different bits and pieces of understanding as I go along. How does grace and the law fit together? You know, that is hard. I know that Paul says that we're not bound by the law, but yet the law is how, what we're supposed to be doing, and the more we know God, the more we obey the law but we still live under grace <laughs> and we try to figure out all of that stuff and it can drive you nuts. You know, predestination. Do I have any choice in what I'm doing or has God predestined everything? Both are taught in the scriptures. How do we bring them together? God is smarter than I am and he's, he has no problem with it. I look at him and say, God, this is impossible to bring together. 
all of these things give us struggle and should give us struggle because that is when it becomes real to us. If all I do is believe what I am told without wrestling with it, it's not real, it's not valid. This is why so many young people walk away from God as they get older because somebody challenges what they believe and they have never struggled with it. And then somebody smarter than they are or more, you know, uh, uh, better orator, orator than they are convinces them that what they believe was too childish and too simple and it was because they never struggled with it is needs to be looked at and this is one of the reasons I want to challenge us to think to reason to not just believe things because I say it or your mom or dad said it or some other pastor said it but is it really true can I struggle with what's going on? Do, can I defend what it is? And this is what I've said to everybody. I go, I don't expect anybody to believe everything that I, that I believe. And where, where I'm on a minority opinion, I know what you, and you say, I believe this. And I'll ask you why. And I know exactly what you're going to say because I have struggled with virtually every one of those points. All right? I've struggled with them and saying, what do I believe about these things? And so if you want to believe something else, I understand why and I know why and it's not going to have a problem with it. As long as you know what it is you believe and that you have done some actual struggle with what you believe, it's what it's important. To know why. Why do you believe? The whole book of Job is on, Job is being challenged, why do you believe in this prosperity gospel message that you believe in? And we see in his answers he's already struggled with it. Now God's just forcing him to go to the end of his struggle. His friends have never struggled with it. They're still in the simplicity of this is, this is the fact and this is the consequence of it. Uh, well, we're not even thinking about those guys that are opposite of what we... You know, we're not looking at those guys that did bad and seem to be getting blessed. We're not even going to think about them. They don't fit in. We don't know why. And we're not going to think about them. But it is so critical for us to sit down and go... This is what we believe. This is why we believe it. And Job is going right here. He goes, wisdom begins with the fear of God. What's he saying? God is right no matter what I think. And I know that this is true. I learned it long, long ago. I think I heard it from Dr. McGee where, where I and the Bible disagree, God's right. You know, and there are times when I look at the Bible and go, God, I can't understand this at all, but I'm going to just trust that you are right. And then struggle with it. Sometimes I struggle for a long time with things. But that is good. It is good for us to struggle and understand. You know, because I've had people that, that say, God said it, that settles it. Well, yes, I understand what you mean by that. But that is not going to hold you in the middle of a doctrinal struggle when you hear somebody give you a good evidence on why you shouldn't believe the way you're believing and you've never thought it through. You're going to be in trouble. And this is very, very important, especially as we're entering into the last days. There is so much going on around us that is so well presented by the world that if we have not actually struggled with God's word to come up with what we believe, we're going to be losing our faith easily. We must know why we believe. And to know why we believe means that we have struggled and wrestled with those thoughts because that will be where we actually get our strength to be able to go through. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't come up with the wrong conclusions at some time, but then again, God will give something else and we'll wrestle with it and going, hmm, doesn't quite match. Okay, God, I, I think I'm seeing where you're going with this. Help me to understand deeper. And you find a teacher or a discipler to be able to help you work through some of that. But even then, you can't take fully what they say. You take what you're taught and struggle with it some more you know, and you know, if you have a good teacher, then you can take what they say you know, a little deeper than normal, but you still can't just buy what the teacher says just because. You know, uh, there is nobody out there that is so smart that they know everything there is to know about the Bible, and I've known some very smart teachers who have taught some very dumb things, from the, you know, quote unquote, from the Bible. I heard one of the guys I really respect, and I'm going, he said something that just didn't make sense. I'm going, uh, 
you didn't say what I thought I heard you say. And I rewound it and I go, you did say what you just said. I go, I feel sorry for you because that wasn't right. <laughs> All teachers, because we're human, can go off the rails. Which is why I keep telling everybody, I want good Bereans in our church. I want people who study and know what God says and care about what God says. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we go about your business. Help us to really learn to be good students of the word. Help us to really get into and study and, and seek you for answers. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.